you know what I used to struggle with? Eating a diet that's nutrient-dense enough for me to get all of my dietary needs met through what I eat alone. I am no longer a passenger on that struggle bus because one tasty scoop of athletic greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in my diet, increase my energy and focus, aid with digestion, and supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills, because baby, I can't do it. And it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it just fits. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during these times, and they're offering my audience a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. So you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. <laughs> to redeem your offer, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash bewellsis. Again, to redeem your offer of one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs, visit athleticgreens.com slash bewellsis. Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. How has life been treating you, but more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? I really hope you're well, and I really hope that this new year has been off to a great start for you. So today, we are going to talk about something that is near and dear to me, and I'm going to go ahead and put a trigger warning here um, because we do talk about um, depression, anxiety, mental illnesses, suicide, and suicidal ideation. The mental health of Black women has been long overlooked and stigmatized. Now, depression is the leading cause of disability among women ages 20 to 44 in the United States. The recent deaths of entertainers and public figures from suicide have drawn attention to the need for a better understanding of mental illness. But there have also been many more examples of normal people walking around with invisible wounds, struggling in silence with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. So let's start with some facts. Health and healthcare disparities exist. For example, black women experience worse outcomes after being diagnosed with breast cancer, yet they are only half as likely to receive genetic testing as white women. Due to the intersections that black women experience, i.e. race, sex, gender, which often affects socioeconomic status, black women are at a higher risk for depression but are less likely diagnosed. Secondly, Black women are less likely to receive an accurate depression diagnosis because Black women often experience depression differently. According to a study led by researchers at NYU, Black women with symptoms of depression often report sleep disturbances, self-criticism, and irritability than stereotypical symptoms such as depressed mood. Also, Black women in the same study with greater depressive symptoms were more likely to report somatic symptoms such as fatigue, insomnia, decreased libido, and self-critical symptoms such as self-hate and self-blame, rather than stereotypical symptoms such as feelings of hopelessness or depressed mood. They also reported experiencing anhedonia, which is an inability to experience pleasure and irritability. Thirdly, mental health is often dismissed or silenced in communities of color. There is stigma and shame around mental illnesses. There are community perceptions that mental illness is a weakness 
or personal character flaw within uh, the black community that contributes to the stigma. And lastly, there is a lack of access to service and support. The majority of black women with depression do not seek treatment because of the following barriers. These include cost, mistrust of the healthcare system, and lack of transportation, available services, or insurance coverage. So now let's talk about it. Be Well Sis is very much an advocate for therapy, and I believe that you don't have to be in crisis in order to seek help and get support. Life is complicated. We all wear many hats, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. Starting therapy years ago has been pivotal in helping me be a better mother, daughter, and partner. It's truly been a game changer in how I view myself and the world around me. So Be Well Sis is proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy platform whose mission is to make professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient. So anyone who struggles with life challenges can get help anywhere and anytime. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. Just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in as little as 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BeWellSis. That's BetterHelp.com slash BeWellSis. We've had so many conversations on this podcast that touch on the many ways our upbringings and the examples of the women who are our caretakers affect how we perceive ourselves, our roles in society, and our worth. Many times, the women we subconsciously model ourselves after were deeply depressed and or anxious. You know, that one auntie who you knew loved you deeply, but was very irritable or known for constantly being in verbal or physical altercations with people or that other auntie who was very superstitious and just a general naysayer. Somebody tells her their plans and she often has a reason as to why it won't work and is just an overall dark view of the world. Or that other auntie who spent most of her days in bed, not due to a physical illness or ailment, but just because. Or maybe you see these type of women reflected in your own mother, the one who is always weepy, crying, the one who is always irritable, the one who has so many pains and aches, yet there is no medical reason as to why. You know the one. The one who is responsible for the comings and goings of the entire family, who's responsible for providing for the entire family, who looks after everyone impeccably, but often looks a mess. Or the one who has millions of jobs and millions of responsibilities to her family and her community, but does not put herself, but has not made herself a priority. Do any of these sound familiar? The women I described are all women that I have seen growing up myself, and I know somebody is going to feel the same and they will identify with some of these characters. Not only did I grow up with them, but in many ways, I embodied that myself. I don't think I ever told you guys why I started this podcast, but it was very much an act of self-care that was suggested to me by my therapist. But before we go into that story, let me just give you a little bit of a background. I am my mother's only child, and I had a very lonely upbringing. My father was never in my life, as some of you may know. Um, and when I was in 
middle school, no, the end of grade school, we moved from the city where a lot of my family lived and we moved to the suburbs where I was A, one of a handful of black children at the school and B, where my mother worked several different jobs. So I really did not see her. I oftentimes went to sleep alone because she worked the night shift and I woke up got myself dressed and ready for school, would call her on my way to school to let her know what I'm wearing and would see myself off. I'd also come home to an empty home because she was working essentially second and third shift. The time that I was at school was when she was at home resting to get up for her third shift. So we'd often just miss each other. So I grew up very lonely and just feeling alone. And I remember one year, I think I was around either 10 or 11, and I started having these stomach pains. And I described the pain to my mom, so she took off work, took me to the doctor, the doctor couldn't figure it out, so they sent me to the specialist to have like a barium swallow study to see if there was something anatomically wrong with my stomach or my GI tract in general, and they found nothing. And I went to several other specialists and they found nothing. And now that I'm looking back and now that I have more information and insight, one of the ways that depression, anxiety shows up in children is with these physical symptoms. So the abdominal pain that I was experiencing was actually depression. I just had no idea how to express it. So growing up, I always felt lonely. I always did not feel like I fit in because I really didn't fit in in my um, neighborhood. The neighborhood was a pretty, you know, middle class, upper middle class neighborhood. Um, We were lucky in that the house that we rented was one of my mom's former patients. So they had the house, um, their mother, who my mom used to take care of, had passed away. And they're like, well, you can rent the house. We don't need, need need it for anything. So we moved into that house. Um, long story short, the feelings of sadness, I couldn't place them. And when I tried to talk about them, I really had no space to talk about them because they're often dismissed. My family is a very strong, strict Christian family from the Caribbean. And if you know, you know. So pretty much there's no such thing as depression. Um, depression is like depression in quotes means that you're not praying enough, that you're not in your word enough, that you're not spending enough time with God and you're a letting, you're letting Satan, um, you know, plant those seeds in your mind. It's not a real thing. So when I did try to address that, I just don't feel right. Something doesn't feel like this doesn't feel normal. I was quickly and always dismissed. And I, so I just learned that I had no space to talk about how I was feeling and just try to move on as best as I can. So that ha- that was my entire childhood, adolescence, and even my young adulthood. Fast forward to um, being a full-grown adult, and I have my second child, and our pregnancy was completely normal, um, nothing to speak of, but when he was born, all shit hit the fan because we had complications that we saw, did not see coming. Long story short, I just did not know Neither did the physicians know whether or not he would survive. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong um, after he was delivered. Um, what happened was I had a placental abruption 
And that means that my placenta detached before he came out. So typically when you deliver a child, the baby comes out first and then some moments after you deliver the placenta because the placenta is what not only provides the baby with nutrients, but also with oxygen. So because my placenta detached before he had come out, he was without oxygen for some time and we weren't sure for how long he was without oxygen. So when he was born, he was shipped off to the NICU and in the NICU, he was put on a medical, they put him in a medically induced coma and lowered his core temperature in order to preserve um, brain function because one of the side effects of having um, hypoxia is that um, the brain swells as a reaction. So when the brain swells inside of a cranium that is not flexible, you're going to then cause more brain damage. So we weren't sure how much brain damage he had. So in order to preserve whatever he did have left, we um, they decided to put him in a medically induced coma. I was fine with it. At the time, they said it was experimental. And he was like one of the first few handfuls of children in Charlotte who had had that procedure at that hospital. I said, let's go for it. So during that time, he was in a coma. Of course, I could not touch him because he was he had thousands of wires um, hooked up to him. In that time, he had liver failure. He had um, seizures. Um, he was bleeding because he um, did not have enough clotting factors. Just everything that could have gone wrong. It was just a, a parent's worst nightmare. Um, Thankfully, we'll fast forward a little bit. He survives and he makes it. He finally comes home. And when he comes home, I am so grateful. We're all so grateful that he is home. He has defied the odds and he is, you know, seemingly healthy. And I was super grateful and I would thank God for all that he has done for me and for him. But I remember vividly going to bed every night thinking, thank you, God, for this day. And if I don't wake up tomorrow, it's all good. And then waking up kind of disappointed that I actually woke up again. So I have an amaz- had an amazing doula and she was checking up on me for the first few weeks outside of um, delivery. And she was like, you know, something's a little off. Like, how are you feeling? I was like, I'm feeling okay. She's like, I don't, I don't believe you. So before I had um, my second, I had, I was seeing a therapist but I had stopped going to see the therapist because I just I couldn't fit it into my schedule anymore. So because my doula noticed that something was off, she's like, you know what, can you do me a favor and go see your therapist? I know you said that you're good, but go see your therapist. So I did. And in going to see my therapist, one of the first things that she asked me to do was to run her through my day. So what do I do from sunup to sundown? And I explained to her. So I told her, all the things that I do. And she's like, okay, so where are you in that? And I had nothing to say because I just had to do for my family, right? That's what a good woman does, right? So I thought. So after speaking with her for for some time, um, she recognized that I was absolutely depressed. And she suggested, because at the time I was breastfeeding and I did not feel comfortable um, taking any pharmaceutical drugs um, because I didn't want to pass anything on to him because he had already had so many medications in his body that I just didn't want to add another thing, right? So she suggested, you know what? How about you, for the next few weeks, spend some time doing something for you, not for your children, not for your mother, not for your, your spouse, not for work, just for you. 
And she had scrolled back and saw that at one point I was interested in starting a podcast, but I wasn't really sure what the topic would be. Um, but I felt like I wanted to, to speak to people about something that I care about. And she's like, why don't you start a podcast? And I'm like, you know what? I will start a podcast. So um, I took the, that time, one hour a day. I spent time just researching and connecting with different women about um, health and wellness. That's something that I'm really passionate about. And long story short, that is how that is how Be Well Sis came to be. So at this point, um, she suggested that I should see her regularly. And I was all on board because I knew the feelings of essentially praying to God for death was not normal, right? So that was a form of suicidal ideation. I did not have a plan. I did not have elaborate thoughts. But just thinking that I'd be better off dead um, wasn't healthy. So I started seeing her. And because... My second, at that point, he was a newborn and he needed help for me to be able to go see her. This was pre-pandemic, right? So um, I needed my mom to be on board to watch him for the hour and a half that I would be gone from the house. So at first I would just say I'm running an errand, but because it became like really regular, I had to tell her where I was going. So I'm just like, all right. I knew she wouldn't like it because, again, we don't believe in that and we don't tell people our business and yada, yada, yada. But I'm like, I really need this and I feel a little bit better every time I speak to her. So I had to sit down with her and tell her, listen, I'm seeing a therapist because I do not feel okay. I feel um, I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for my life and for my family and for you guys. But I, I do not feel right. And I'm seeing a therapist. And every week at such and such time, I really would appreciate your help if you can watch if you can watch for the little one while I go and see the therapist. Oh, she was not having it. <laughs> she was so upset. She was just like, "You're doing what? Why are you seeing a therapist? You know, the problem is that you don't pray enough. And if you spent more time in your Bible, if you spent more time in prayer, if you spent more time at church, if you spent more time." Um, volunteering and, and giving back, then you wouldn't feel this way. Depression is not a thing. That's just the devil trying to get to you and yada, yada, yada. And at this point, I am well into my 30s. And it was the first time that I actually felt like an adult because I had to tell her, listen, you don't have to agree with what I'm doing, but I feel like this is the best thing for me. And either you're going to help me or you're not. So let me know so I can get myself a babysitter or you can help me out. Long story short, she didn't like it, but she did end up helping. And with time, she got used to it. Like she knew that every week I would go and see this person and talk. And I think she felt like with months, she could see the difference after months of me going. And I'm honestly so embarrassed that it took me that long to feel like a real adult because I had to stand up to my mother for, like I said before, I had been seeing the therapist before my second child was born, but I went and I honestly wasn't going as frequently as I should have. Like I went, but like I wasn't fully invested in therapy because I just was trying to better myself, but I wasn't really having like a crisis like I was um with the birth of my second child. And I say this to you, if you are from a similar background where people do not believe in mental health issues, um, where people do not believe in um, specialists who help us figure ourselves out, um, just do it. And, 
having that conversation and asserting yourself and saying this is what you're doing for yourself because now you are an adult and you are in charge of your own life, I think in many ways will cause that person, whether it's your parent figure, um, friend, whatever, or spouse, to have more respect for you because you are asserting yourself. Do not let the opinions of others stop you from doing what's best for you. Do not let the opinions of others get you in the way of actually experiencing joy and living life on your own terms. Not everybody is going to agree with your decisions and your actions, and that's okay. I've decided that I am, and it's very cliche and it's very old, but I'm in my villain era. And what that means is that I am not going to do anything that is going to hurt others, but I'm going to do everything that makes me feel good. Because that is not how I have operated in the past, that might make me a villain to some people, and that's okay. Again, as long as I'm not hurting myself or others, if this thing brings me joy or brings me a little bit closer to joy or brings me a little bit closer to the life that I dream of or that I envision, I'm going to do so. And I suggest that you do the same as well. We're at the top of the year and a lot of us have already made our um, resolutions or our planted our, our seeds for whatever our goals are going to be. And some of us are still thinking like, you know, how do I want my life to be different this year? Or how can I set myself up um, differently this year? And if you haven't made your goals yet, if you haven't really written out your plans and mapped out your, your plans for this, this year, I really hope that it includes doing things that truly bring you closer to living your most authentic and your best life. I heard somewhere that many of us are depressed in part because many of us are living lives that we did not design. Again, I'll say it again. Many of us are depressed because many of us are living lives that we did not design. And I will tell you this, that spoke to me so much because I spent a lot of my time trying to make my mother happy. And while she has great intentions, I cannot live my life for her. The design that she had, the child that she had in mind is great, but it may not necessarily be me. And that's okay. So what I've learned is that in order to get help and to truly make any progress, I first have to be honest with myself. So I'm asking you to be honest with yourself in answering the following questions. How do I feel at this moment? What do I crave in life? What makes me happiest? What am I thankful for? What am I putting off? What makes me feel down? What do I love about me? Who makes me feel my best? If I had time, what would I do? If I had money, what would I do? What scares me and how does it hold me back? Do the people around me make me feel energized? Who or what inspires me? What do I need to heal? What do I need to let go of? So I'm not saying to sit and do all of these questions at once, but I think it's really important to sit down and answer these questions at some point. In order to really get help and in order to really move forward, some it's really important to be honest about how we're feeling. 
A lot of times those feelings are not going to be positive. We're not going to feel great. And honestly, when I'm at my lowest low in dealing with my depression, answering questions does not necessarily, it's not something that I jump to do. But I promise you, if you can answer just one question, you find that you really deep down are not happy and have not sought help, I implore you to do so. Therapy has saved my life. Therapy has changed me for the better. It's made me a better me. It's made me a better mother, a better spouse, a better daughter. And I know that what I've experienced, I want all of you to experience as well. Um, so that is all I have for now. Before we wrap up, if you have gotten anything from this episode, I implore you to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify or whatever app that you listen on. Please leave a comment. Um, telling me what you want to hear next. I am still in the planning phases and I always want to hear from you. Um, also join us on Geneva. It is a free app where we have pretty much a group chat. So what are we reading? Um, who are some of our favorite wellness practitioners in our cities? It's just a good time. So it's like, we're all the, the besties go ahead and, and join. Um, it's called the inner circle. It's on Geneva. Again, the link is down below in the show notes. So just click on it to join and we are happy to see you, um, again. And also, um, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash bewellsis. And you, we have um, unedited and raw um, brand new exclusive episodes on Patreon, as well as some other content. As well, I am taking feedback so you can vote on what episodes are upcoming. You can suggest and nominate people, um, all of that good stuff. So thank you so much for joining. I am so, so glad you're here. And if nobody told you today, I love you. Be well, sis. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well, Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.